Good evening, ghouls and ghoulettes, and welcome to Killer Horror Critic, the podcast worth dying for. Hosted by the Killer Horror Critic himself, this is the show where guests from all over the horror spectrum join to talk about some of their favorite horror films. So get snugged under the covers, grab a cuddly puppy, and prepare for tonight's blood-curdling episode of Killer Horror Critic. Good evening, horror fans, and welcome to another episode of Killer Horror Critic. I'm your host, Matt. And I'm Chris. And we are your killer couple critiquing and arguing over horror films like a couple of weirdos at the bar. So maybe you never quite learn anything. Maybe we never blow your mind. Maybe we never take you somewhere that's green. (laughs) But hopefully you just have a good time listening. So today we are continuing our theme of horror musicals for the month. And we're doing that with the 1986 film Little Shop of Horrors. So again, this is the 1986 one, not the original 1960 film, which this is based on. That was directed by the great Roger Corman and written by Charles B. Griffith. This one is directed by Frank Oz, who actually began his career as a puppeteer, which makes sense considering that this film is heavily involved with puppeteering. Uh, And he was uh, very much involved in The Muppet Show. Uh, He actually puppeteered and did the voice of Yoda. (laughs) He also directed The Dark Crystal, which is amazing, and Muppets Take Manhattan. Uh, So he's had a long career in working with puppets. Yeah, a long career in Muppetry. (laughs) (laughs) And it was written by Howard Ashman, uh, based on the musical that he developed with Alan Menken. Uh, The pair went on to do songs for uh, films such as Little Mermaid, including Under the Sea, which I believe was nominated or won that year for Best Song. Uh, He also did Beauty and the Beast, eventually, sadly, passed away from AIDS in 1991. And the film stars Rick Moranis as Seymour, who was actually producer David Geffen's first choice. I guess he had met him at a party one time or whatever and was like, you're going to be in my movie. And... You know, Moraine has kind of gave him the look, I guess, of like, yeah, okay, sure. But I guess he he eventually was. And Moraine was an actor who had his, I guess you could say, his breakout role in Ghostbusters. That was kind of the one that really propelled his career. Uh, He also did the film Spaceballs, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. It also stars Ellen Green as Audrey, who started her career off as a nightclub singer in New York before being cast in Next Stop Greenwich Village. She was actually the original actress to play Audrey in the Broadway musical, uh, and I believe was the first, if not the first, definitely one of the very few actors uh, who was cast in the role that they originated from a Broadway play into an adaptation. Yeah, I think so. Um, at, at least at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that seems to be the way that everyone remembers it, is that it hadn't really been done before. It still <laughs> isn't really done, unfortunately. And still really isn't done, <laughs> but I guess, the, I guess the producers in Oz, they all just loved Green as Audrey and couldn't see anyone else playing the character besides her. So She is amazing. She is, definitely, definitely embodies a character like no one else probably could. <laughs> <laughs> but let's see, it also stars uh, Steve Martin as Orin, who started off as a popular comedian. Uh, his breakout role was The Jerk, uh, which is hilarious if you've never seen it. 
Uh, he co-wrote and starred in The Three Amigos, so he has done, like, you know, writing as well on the side. Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, I think, is one of my favorites with him, with John Candy. The film's <laughs> fucking hysterical. Great Thanksgiving watch if you've never watched. And it also stars Levi Stubbs as the voice of Audrey, too. Just wanted to mention him, since Audrey's such a big role in the movie. But uh, for those that are wondering if you've never seen Little Shop of Horrors, this is basically a film about Seymour, this orphaned dude who works for this shop owner named Mr. Mushnik, played by Vincent Gardenia, and it, they work at like a florist, basically, and Seymour's discovered this weird plant, uh, this strange and interesting plant, I should say, <laughs> uh, after a solar eclipse, and it suddenly appears, and he eventually discovers, after the plant begins to make the floral shop more famous and popular and actually successful, Seymour discovers that in order to keep the plant alive, he has to feed it blood, and the bigger it gets, the more blood he has to feed it, <laughs> which, of course, leads to murders. Yep. <laughs> So this is a great film. We're going to be spoiling everything with it that we can. So if you have not seen it, please go check it out. Uh, at the time of this recording, it is streaming on HBO Max. Uh, but it's also well worth your rental if you've yes. never watched it. But we do have our brief little bit of spoiler-free content before we get into that. So we'll let you know when we're about to spoil everything. But So just to start off with our usual tagline versus the film and what we think the tagline of the movie overall. So the tagline, uh, at least what appeared on the poster, uh, was... A sin in plant, a daring hero, a sweet girl, a demented dentist. It's the most outrageous musical comedy in years. <laughs> All right. And, and, and yeah. another, another tagline you could say is maybe don't feed the plants, but, <laughs> <laughs> but that's what's on the poster. So what do you think of that? And what do you think of Little Shop of Horrors overall? I mean, it's a little bit, little bit wordy for a tagline. I don't know if I'd qualify Seymour as a daring hero, but rest matches up that's fine i would definitely not qualify no. seymour's daring hero <laughs> he's not but look i fucking love this movie of course because like, i love alan minkin's music always so the music mm. is great for this all of the actors are fantastic you know this is a really great like dark comedy musical which i think is so much fun you know of course and then you have the amazing puppeteering that's happening because audrey too is amazing like even those like shitty critics who like hate horror robert and eber whatever the fuck their names are because i don't care siskel and eber yeah yeah even they liked this movie even though yeah. they didn't see the right ending the, yeah you said it correctly the right ending yes i which, did which we will talk about there was an original ending that was shot for this film that was cut for the theatrical release and eventually restored on Blu-ray for the director's cut. We're going to talk about that yes. because we both have strong opinions yep. I, <laughs> on I that have, ending. Yeah, I do have to remember this. I am a little bit of a Broadway snob because I saw it on stage a first. A little bit of a Broadway a snob. Bit. Oh, <laughs> Chris almost primarily listens to show tunes. <laughs> they're my favorite. What do you want from me? I just want you to admit you're more than a little bit of a Broadway snob. <laughs> uh, loving Broadway doesn't make me a snob. Liking the Broadway show better than the movie does, though. <laughs> Um, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I do I do like the stage show just a little bit better because there's some songs that they had to take out, which totally makes sense for pacing. I'm not super mad, but overall this is I mean, this entire month, I'm gonna tell you every horror musical is my favorite. So this movie's amazing. Yeah. No, look, Little Shop of Horrors is a classic. I think that for for a lot of horror fans growing up, this is probably one of the first 
musicals maybe that they encounter uh at least in terms of horror you know this and rocky horror picture show i think are probably the two most famous in terms of horror musicals which we'll be talking about that next week no it's it's an incredible movie i mean look this is one of the rare horror films that you know it was actually nominated for oscars it was nominated for best visual effects uh which it did lose although in this case i'm okay with it because it lost to aliens and, right. and Aliens is pretty goddamn incredible with Stan Winston's work. Mm. Not to say the Little Shop of Horrors isn't. I would put them on like the same tier. They're just they There's, cannot. They're masterful. They cannot be matched. There's involved in this. That's more intense. Have you seen the movie Aliens, Chris? They have, <laughs> yes, you've shown the, me it a the, million times. The Queen Alien is like a two-story tall animatronic. All right, like Fair it's enough. pretty goddamn impressive. <laughs> but but Little Shop of Horrors as well. So I'm not mad that it lost, mm. but it deserved to be nominated, and so I'm glad that it was. But. It, you know, it was nominated for that. It was also nominated for uh, Best Original Song, Mean Green Mother, which is the song that plays in the end uh, that Audrey sings, or Audrey 2 sings. But no, it's uh, it's just such a great film because it it is that sort of dark comedy, you know, so it's fun, and it's, it, it's PG-13. It's inviting to kids. You know, it's kind of like mm-hmm. gateway horror, though I will admit that this movie actually, parts of it scared the shit out of me <laughs> when I was a kid. Uh, so, so I won't spoil who, but there is a part where Seymour is feeding body parts to the plant. And as like a six-year-old or whatever age I was, I found that very disturbing. You know? <laughs> like, and, and the body parts themselves aren't particularly gruesome. Yeah. You know, Originally, I think they were much more so because uh, I think they even had like a full head and everything that they were feeding to it. But in this case, they really toned it down quite a bit than, <laughs> than the original version. But it still, it still freaked me out as a kid. You know, that yeah. whole scene with Seymour like chopping body parts and, <laughs> and throwing them into the plant's mouth. It, it kind of it kind of freaked it me got out. To you. It freaked me out a little bit. So so I mean it, it's great for that. It is kind of scary for kids. It's fun. It's entertaining. The songs are great. Chris doesn't think that the scenery is all that amazing, but Rick Moranis <laughs> can't sing. I'll dis- die on that hill. I disagree. I mean, Rick Moranis is fine. I'm not saying he's the best singer in the world, but he's fine. He's fine for this movie. <laughs> I like him in the role of Seymour. I think that they should have well, cast he's... somebody else to sing his parts. That's it. Well, he's great as a character, and they did do that for quite a few roles. They're there are other roles in the movie that they dubbed with someone else singing because the voice didn't work. So should have done it with him. <laughs> Whatever, Chris. I think he's first. He's just fine. <laughs> oh, and I should also mention because I actually didn't know this before doing research for this. Uh, apparently, like during a commentary, it was mentioned that. Uh, Spielberg at one point was going to produce this movie and it and Martin Scorsese was like Ugh. in contention for directing and and they and they at one time thought that the film was only going to cost six million dollars <laughs> hilarious yes. you know like it ended it, up being what 25 million uh, I I don't remember, I don't recall the exact number but mm-hmm. just the end sequence alone that was cut cost about five million <laughs> you know so that so that shows you just how much they underestimated uh, the cost of this movie, but but I'm really glad it turned out the way that it did that Frank Oz directed. I really cannot imagine Martin Scorsese having directed this no. movie. <laughs> I, I don't think I would have liked it. it. I, I mean, it, I almost feel like they had to be fucking with me even just mentioning that because <laughs> I, I cannot picture Martin Scorsese being interested in a fucking killer plant musical. But who knows? Who knows? Hollywood. When he was younger, in his younger days. Yeah, maybe he wanted to do other things besides gangsters. Or maybe every character was going to be rewritten to be a gangster. I don't know. So no, I'm glad that it worked out the way that it did. So anyway, so I don't want to keep rambling on about it. We're, We're getting into the movie now. So again, if you have not seen the film, please go check it out. We're going to spoil everything we can get to. 
so with that being said, let's just start off with the fact that Audrey 2, the, the idea that Audrey 2 sucking Seymour's blood <laughs> and being and being placed into the window of the shop just suddenly changes everything. So like, let's just start off with like, what are your thoughts on it? this like Faustian approach to the movie and the fact that, you know, and how the shop kind of begins to change with Audrey. (laughs) Okay. So I've thought about this a lot because, you know, you do have um, the whole song feed me, get it where Audrey Mm. Chu is basically promising Seymour that this plant can do anything, get him anything that he wants. Yeah. It's like a monkey's paw. Yeah. (laughs) But, like, I'm not going to lie. Every time I hear that song, my brain just goes, you fucking liar. You can't do shit. You're a plant. Well, the plant is a liar. Yeah. (laughs) We Um, know this. I do. The the plant is not... See, and that's and that's the difference between something like this and Faust is that mm-hmm. Audrey too is a fucking bullshitter. <laughs> like it's the biggest fucking lying plant ever. <laughs> right. So for me, like it, it very much almost feels like you know I think that there's a lot of like you know power dynamics and stuff like that happening in this film. And so for me, I kind of view it as Audrey too is literally like like this blood sucking asshole. <laughs> Second blood, who is absolutely taking advantage of Seymour and his situation when really all the shop fucking needed was like a coat of paint. Like I think, I think the shop needed a little bit more than a coat of paint. It did. But but the but the iron but yes, you know, there there is something to be said about the fact that like, you know, they're not selling Audrey to as the no. shop. And the shop is just suddenly making money because they have Audrey too in the window, you know? Mm-hmm. So like I, I sort of look at that and I'm like Hey guys, I don't know why. Why didn't you have like Seymour in a fucking you know thon or something <laughs> like dancing in the window? Like <laughs> I, I think that's gonna send the wrong message. <laughs> it doesn't matter what message it sends. The the whole point is like all your shop was missing was some bullshit to br- like b- some bullshit advertising to bring people in. Right? You know, it, it was never it was never about the what you sell. You mm-hmm. know, because. What suddenly people want to buy flowers from you because you have a weird plant that they can't buy? Like, yeah, no, no, it's this whole. Maybe thing. if you use your downtime to fucking clean it up a bit, so it doesn't look dusty as shit all the time. That's my whole thing. Is like I feel like Seymour really hits the the nail on the head when you know Mushnik wants to close everything down. He's just like, yeah. nope, I'm done. It's kaput, and he's just. I can't even remember exactly what it says because it's a very fancy way of saying, I think we need to change something up at the store. And look, working in retail, yeah, sometimes you just need to clean your window, put up a new display. It, it's got to drive you nuts as a shop owner watching the scene where they're all just kind of like sitting and bored and reading the newspaper or whatever. And the shop is like dirty as hell and they're not trying anything to like bring people in. You must just sit there and be like, oh my God, do something. <laughs> yes, it, it drives me nuts because it is really this thing that I look at this and I look at Audrey too, who's just like, hey, I did all this for you. And I'm like, you didn't do fucking shit, plant. You yeah. just tried to die, sucked blood and took credit for all of this stuff. Like the asshole you are. Yeah. The So so uh, on a metaphorical level, I do kind of look at it a little bit interesting because, you know, so, so I think Audrey too himself <laughs> i don't they I don't, I don't know what to call is audrey to a boy or a girl or they i don't know but 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 audrey too you know I, I i sort of like to look at them as as kind of multiple things mm-hmm. you know and, and we're going to talk about the other thing that that's kind of a major theme of the movie as we go on here but one thing i wanted to point out is that you know part of this whole thing obviously is seymour is obsessed with audrey 
probably because he's never talked to another girl in his life, kind of what I get from Seymour. I think he just (laughs) lives in that basement. I don't think he ever leaves. I'm not sure Seymour has ever been further than like a block away from where he lives, but (laughs) (laughs) which is really depressing. Yeah. But he's obsessed with Audrey regardless. And, you know, so far as to like name the plant Audrey too, right? Mm -hmm. Which, you know, that should have been the first sign for Audrey of like, huh, that's really fucking weird. Okay. (laughs) But, you You know, considering. Like, did if a, a girl named a plant after you? Not if we weren't... The Maddie too. If we weren't dating and we weren't, like, really good friends, which maybe they are. I think they are. Either way, I don't know. (laughs) A little weird. A little weird. But... Uh, but not that Audrey's all that concerned, considering who she dates, right? So, yeah. uh, but anyway, you know, the it, it's interesting to me because there's, of course, I think, sort of a kind of theme of like budding love here. Not to put a pun on it, but <laughs> uh, but but there's sort of that theme of like budding love, you know, with with Seymour having this crush on Audrey and he just wants her to notice him, right? Mm-hmm. But Audrey's too busy. Uh, with her boy her abusive boyfriend Uh, yeah she's too busy with all that crap so she doesn't notice seymour really and it's kind of you know it's kind of like the moment that seymour kind of introduces audrey to it's almost like you know not just mr mushnik and the rest of the town but it's sort of audrey kind of taking more notice of seymour as well Mm -hmm. like again we don't know much about the relationship before this but you know, she now kind of thinks Seymour's like a genius, even though he didn't do anything <laughs> except find the plant. Uh, but she thinks he's a genius, and, it, you know, she's kind of, like, taking more interest in him and everything. And so I sort of see the shop as, like, kind of the the beginning of what success means for Seymour. Mm-hmm. You know, the the good part about it, which is he... It's, it's it, the shop becoming cleaner. It's almost like Seymour kind of becoming more confident in himself you know so like i sort of correlate him directly with the shop where it's like you know the the nicer the shop starts to look the the nicer seymour starts to kind of look and and approach things you know like he starts dressing nicer and he he just looks cleaner and happier uh before everything hits the (laughs) fan you know (laughs) you know i think that actually goes for both of our characters i think it goes for both seymour and audrey because they both of them suffer from horrible self-confidence. Oh, 100%. Like, just <laughs> terrible. Like, it's, like, just rock bottom. And, you know, I feel like that's definitely what we're seeing at the beginning is that they've just kind of resigned themselves to never getting out of Skid Row. And as they're starting to get success, yeah, we see this We see this glow up, not only with, with Seymour. He's a little bit more, I guess, easier to watch it with because he mm. goes from, like, being horribly dressed, which, by the way, I found out that a lot of the costumes, so that they would be, like, accurate, all came from thrift stores, which I think is awesome. He glows up. He starts wearing suits. That, you know, we he can just... glows up. <laughs> I thought it was appropriate. But so does Audrey because mm. when we first see Audrey, she's wearing, you know, those more skin-tight dresses. She's pr- primarily dressing in black and white. Doesn't... Audrey always wears skin tight dresses. No, because no, because she, as she gets more confidence and kind of gets away from Orin and is a little bit more in love with Seymour and this idea of really being able to get out, then we have this dress that I feel like is the the turning point for Audrey, where the shop's really busy and she's in this gorgeous red and white floral dress. It's like her dream dress type of thing. Okay. And so like, yeah, for me, as the shop does better, both of our main characters are doing better, like mentally as well as dressing better, which I like. Okay. I, 
I don't quite see it with Audrey, I'll admit. Not not until the end, at least, because, mm-hmm. you know, you say doing better, whereas I see Audrey just, you know, looking more and more like she's getting the shit beat out of her through the movie. <laughs> like, So, I, so I, I'm not quite sure I agree there. I see what you're saying, though. But, you know, in terms of costuming, an area that I do think is interesting, though, is the three girls that kind of connect everything you mm-hmm. know I, I i sort of view them as like they're not necessarily part of the town i no. don't know but they're but they're just kind of you know they're just kind of like there for the audience basically you mm-hmm. know to kind of tell us what's going on but uh but the three women crystal played by tachina arnold renette played by michelle weeks and chiffon played by tisha campbell you know their costuming throughout is interesting because they their outfits kind of change to sort of match like the tone of uh, of the movie at different times it's mm-hmm. so, like when i first meet them and they're and the skid rose song is playing and everything that's they're wearing blue and then when seymour is killing for the first time i think they're in red uh the whole betrayal with mr mushnik is purple which i don't know you can read into whatever you want purple to be but <laughs> well they're they're fascinating because we don't see it too too much they're a great chorus that's mm. their whole job is they're supposed to be the great chorus kind of keeping us along yeah i really love a lot of their costuming i really love the fact that you know their names were chosen um they're all in reference to 60 girl bands mm. um because all of them were 60 girl bands frank oz really i was reading i guess wanted them to have a spotlight at all times to kind of highlight the fact that they're narrators they're not part of the story you know but uh they couldn't really do that without it spilling over and so we get that one really cool magical scene um in the opening when they're doing the little shop of horrors theme song basically and you've got the rain coming down and they're magically dry throughout that entire scene that Mm. was him kind of putting in there like these these are your guiding factors. And they're my favorite part of the movie. Their costuming is awesome. I love them because they're like snarky and sassy and they're making yeah. fun of Seymour a lot of the time. Yeah, no, they're great. And, and you know, I really liked Frank Oz's kind of approach to it because, you know, in his interviews, Oz considers them to be like the the foundation of the movie. Mm-hmm. You know, like the most important part. Like he kind of considers it like, oh yeah, the rest of the cast is great or whatever. <laughs> but these three women these three women are the ones who give it style. Like that was his word is they give it style, mm-hmm. you know, because of, because of just the choruses that they're singing and everything, uh, which I could agree with, you know, yeah. they, they are the ones who kind of come in. Like we got all these depressed people, you know, dressed like crap and skid row and like dying in the gutter and everything. And here, and here come these three women just like, you know, dressed like glam babes, just like stepping all over people. <laughs> and like, not really, but you know what I mean? Just, yeah. They just come in and they're like, ha look at how beautiful I look, motherfucker you know so like uh so so they do they really do add that kind of different sense to it but you know but 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 about the skid row thing and the fact that this is set there and that the shop is so shitty and whatnot (laughs) you know i I feel i feel like moving on to kind of the other thing that this thing plays into you know like i i do think that audrey too uh is very much kind of like a metaphor for seymour's you know love for audrey Mm -hmm. and just kind of the way that 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 those crushes can be kind of like exciting and grow but also like thorny and dangerous you know and they kind of suck the life out of you Mm -hmm. uh depending on how they go you know i I see a lot of that in there but i think more so what's kind of in little shop of horrors is this sort of like you know upper class versus lower class uh kind of thematics going on oh yeah and and i i think you see a lot of that 
in Oren, who, you know, maybe we can't really call him, like, upper class, but mm-hmm. but he is a dentist, so he yeah. probably makes pretty good money, as Audrey says. Mm-hmm. And, and and I think it's just absolutely perfect that they take this Oren character and just make him a complete and utter sadist. <laughs> you know, like, the de- like, I always thought of the dentist as a bit of a sadist growing up, because mm-hmm. I'm like, how can you become a dentist where you just, like, inflict pain on people all day long, every day, and not be a little bit of a sadist. You know? This movie really makes you start questioning, like, when you're in pain in the dentist chair, of like, is this on purpose? Well, is right, is know, my doctor I, getting off on this right now? Well, well I, always, I always viewed going to the dentist as like, just put me under gas every time. You're just, you're doing a teeth cleaning, put me under gas. I don't want to feel anything. <laughs> like, you're sitting there, you, you got these fucking instruments that look like tiny little blades <laughs> that you're just poking and prodding my sensitive mouth with. Like, just give me some fucking gas. Why, I, why, why isn't there gas every single time? <laughs> do they still use gas? I don't know. Whatever they use. Morphe- <laughs> what the fuck does the dentist use? I don't know. They, they put a shot in my gums now. So. Yeah, which is the worst. I would oh, prefer I- gas. I mean, look, either's fine with me. Like, the, the shot, you barely feel it, and then it's just numb city, you know, for the rest of the time. But no, I mean, for fuck's sake, I went to a dentist one time where, not to get off track, but I went to a dentist one time where I was like, yeah, so I'm in here because I have this, like, massive cavity in one of my teeth, and the the assistant was just like, oh, this one? And she took the fucking, like, you know, hook-shaped blade and placed it directly in my cavity. <laughs> directly in my cavity right after I said she, it. She just had to be thorough. That's all, hun. You know, so, so, but anyway, the point is like, I, I love that, you know, Oren, who is brilliantly played yes. by Steve Martin. Like, I, you know, Steve Martin's had a lot of great roles. I think that this is definitely, you know, one of, if not his best, because I think it's a kind of Steve Martin that you don't really see a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like Steve always, he always kind of plays the, the jerks or like something like that, you know, obviously became famous for the movie, the jerk. Yeah. Uh, he, he always kind of plays a jerk like that, but, but this is different because he's not just playing a jerk. He's playing like a, a kind of extreme sadist, you know, and, and he's got this sort of like Elvis Presley kind of attitude. <laughs> and, and that sort of thing where I feel like, you know, I just feel like Steve Martin gets to really kind of flex his acting muscles here, you know, and just embody this like really over the top role that, mm-hmm. that he doesn't get to do a lot of very often. So I love this role, but but in terms of the sadism, you know, I almost feel like it's just kind of saying how these upper class people, they, they just constantly are taking advantage of the poor, yeah. you know, and like delighting in in the pain of the people living on Skid Row. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like that's, that's my whole thing with Orin is just the fact that like, he, by Audrey and Seymour standards, he has everything. He's got a good job. He's got money. He's got a motorcycle. Like, he's just a he, super cool dude. He has everything except the ability to get it up without inflicting pain. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure he can't function, if you know what I mean, and I think you do, oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> without without uh, getting someone to scream a little bit. <laughs> and not the good kind of screaming. And not the good kind of screaming. <laughs> yeah, no, he's definitely that, like, gross type of dude. Yeah. But yeah. Well, well, that's why I love when he has the scene with Bill Murray that comes in, <laughs> who, by the way, is also fucking hysterical in this movie. It's my favorite uh, Bill, Mor- Bill Murray role. Yeah, well, well, he's taking over for the Jack Nicholson part uh, from, from the 1960 Little Shop of Horrors, which mm-hmm. I think was... I think might have been Nicholson's first role, if I remember correctly, or at least one of his early ones. Um, but he takes over for that. And by, by the way, Nicholson is 
that's one of his best roles is, <laughs> is that brief little part in that movie because he's hysterical. But um, but no, but Bill Murray was taking over for that. And and he's brilliant. And what the hell was I saying? I'm already pretty buzzed. Uh, <laughs> I, I love him coming into the into the role and just like, you know, Martin, so to speak, cannot get it up. Like, because because Murray's enjoying it too much. You know, candy bar, candy bar. Like, which, by the way, that was all ad-libbed. Like, That's amazing. Ad, like, all of it. Like, oh. I'm pretty sure, if I remember correctly, Oz told Bill Murray to just, like, throw the script out and just do whatever he wanted. So... <laughs> Uh, so that's all Alu, which I which I think is great because that just shows you how hilarious Bill Murray is. But uh, but yeah, it is very much you know Orin likes having power over people, and it's this thing that I think we get a lot with Little Shop of Horrors. You know, this whole concept of these people living down in Skid Row. You have the whole Skid Row song that's talking about the fact that they they have to go uptown to work for these socialites and these rich people, mm. and it's awful and it's demeaning and it fucking sucks. Mm. And then, you know, everything in Little Shop of Horrors that comes with success has this horrible, horrible price tag attached, right? Mm. Like with, um, you know, with Seymour, he has to like, you know, murder people so that he can have the success that he's looking for. You know, and then with, with Audrey, she's just looking for someone to love her, someone to like, so she can be secure and all that kind of stuff. Well, I mean, this is a little bit different, though, because, mm-hmm. you know, that that's implying that the price of love is is Orin, <laughs> which is not true, you know. No. But, but but what 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 it is implying is, mm-hmm. you know, it's not just about Audrey looking for love. Audrey is looking for sustainability. She's looking yep. for support. She's looking for money, you know, and that's her whole reason for staying with Orin despite the fact that he abuses her is you know she says it herself uh well he makes good money yeah you know that's her reason for being with them and and that's the price of it you know so it's not about love being the price mm-hmm. or, or, or it's Agreed. not about love being the 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 it's not about love costing pain mm-hmm. it, it's about the fact that money costs pain yeah you know money has like it's weird to say that money has a price to it, but money... <laughs> it does! But the cost of money is pain. Yeah. You know, it's basically the the whole theme of Little Shop of Horrors here. And, I mean, like, just think, just think about this way. Like, look at all of your politicians, right? I'm not even picking Ugh. a side here. Look at all of your politicians. <laughs> and and tell me that you don't see a, at least a little bit of Orin in every single one of them. You know, just, yep. just these motherfuckers who, you know... Are, are in a position of like I'm here to help you and make you healthy and take care of you, and meanwhile you know that they're all just absolutely delighting in your miseries. Yes, <laughs> their our misery helps them get it up. Yes, <laughs> I, I, I would guarantee you that fifty percent of politicians probably cannot get off unless they like you know say shit during sex like oh poverty oh racism you know like they like they fucking love that shit yeah uh, all right but anyway i'm getting too political here so so look the thing is um you know yes the, the whole thing with seymour especially feeding audrey to his blood mm-hmm. you know it, it plays right into that whole like blood sweat and tears into your work kind of mentality right of mm-hmm. like like seymour has to suffer <laughs> For, yeah. for any kind of success and that's kind of and that's the point you know mm-hmm. that's what's going on with literally every single person in this movie uh except for Oren, is there <laughs> they all have to suffer in some way uh to to live a sustainable life yeah you know to have any kind of success to to achieve their dreams which by the way is a weird common theme i've noticed in musicals you ever notice that like almost every <laughs> single fucking musical is about achieving some kind of dream <laughs> 
I mean, I feel like, yeah, because it's a musical. It's hopeful. You want to reach for your star. Well, it's not just about being hopeful. I, I just Something I noticed, like, yeah. every fucking musical is about achieving dreams. I mean, fucking Anne and the Apocalypse last week was all about achieving dreams. Um, but no, but but it is... <laughs> so will our next two movies. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> but no, but yeah, it's essentially, like we were saying earlier, it's a, it's a fought... It's a Faustian pact that Seymour is making with Audrey too. And it's, but, but in a weird way, you know, because unlike Faust, which kind of makes the deal a little clearer up front, Mm -hmm. you know, Seymour isn't really a hundred percent on the pact he's making when he first starts feeding Audrey to blood, you know? Yeah. At at first it's just like, oh, you need, you need my blood to live. Okay. You know? (laughs) But you know, I feel like that's very true to like real life. You know, we have this whole mentality of like pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, which is fucking bullshit because that's really fucking hard and not possible unless... You start off on a certain level. Well, right? I mean, that's the joke to the thing is you you literally cannot pull yourself up by your bootstraps, but it's what. <laughs> yeah. But it's what. But it's what you know. Rich people like to tell you because they're like, "Hey, motherfucker, get back to work." <laughs> yeah. Even though Stop. they were handed their money, they were given a silver spoon. They didn't have to work for shit, and they're telling everyone else to work. Yeah, it's the whole. Th- I mean, that's just America in a nutshell, right? Yeah. You know. But but that's the thing, and that you know. <laughs> This, this is the irony, or, or part of the funny thing about it to me is, you know, this movie's made all the way back in 1986. Mm-hmm. Like, like decades ago, we were talking about the problems that are even worse now, you know? Yep. It, it just goes to show you how, like, the pe- the very people we're talking about with this uh, just continue to, like, shut this shit down and find ways around it, you know? Yep. Because um, we've known. It's not like we haven't known that that's kind of our <laughs> role in society is to work our asses off so that maybe maybe we get like a sliver of the pie, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but that is what's going on here. And, you know, I, I sort of love that the only people that actually get fed to Audrey to by Seymour are the sort of more successful people, or at least the people that stand in the role of that, mm-hmm. you know? So like Oren, obviously being a dentist, uh, and then Mr. Mushnik, he himself is not rich, but he still kind of stands in that place of like the the overseer, the boss, you know, yeah. uh, the boss who's trying to take advantage of Seymour yep. and fuck him over and steal his work, which is another very common practice everywhere. Yep. And and so it, it's kind of great to me because it's kind of like the the eat the rich, <laughs> you know, <laughs> saying uh, personified, right? Yeah. Because <laughs> um, because that's all Audrey too is pretty much eating for a while is the rich, so to speak. (laughs) No, I really like that aspect of it because it is, you know, there is this, this weird commentary with it of like, yes, Seymour is feeding himself to Audrey for the longest time. You know, he's, he's putting himself at a disadvantage. He's hurting himself to get to this point. And then when it becomes time that he needs to basically ostensibly take that next step, he's following in the footsteps of the successful men that he's watched. 100%. Yeah. Orin and Mushnik both taught him that you step on other people to become successful. It, it's just, you know, it, it, it's part of this theme is just the idea that, like, there there is no such thing, I think, as as success without some kind of sacrifice yep you know and and those sacrifices aren't always evil right but but it's the idea that like look if you want to be successful you're probably gonna have to fuck somebody over you're probably gonna have to stab someone in the back you're probably gonna have to do things that you don't agree with or that you don't want to you're probably gonna have to do things that go against your morality right like it's Mm -hmm. you will 
you will find very few rich people who can honestly tell you that they've never done anything like regretful or shameful in how they got their money, right? Yeah. And, and so, you know, and that's what's going on here with Seymour is like, you're right. Like he actually becomes the thing that he kind of, I, I don't want to say Seymour despises it from the beginning. I would say Seymour is naive about it. Yes. You know, Seymour doesn't really realize he's kind of becoming the worst parts. <laughs> yeah. I read Seymour, I, lo I love him. He's just a naive little Bambi who thinks that he has a good deal because he gets every other Sunday off. Right. <laughs> he, he only gets two Sundays off a month and he thinks that Mr. Bushnick like walks on air. Like, mm. and it's just, I think that this is while he's growing up and he's becoming more like confident in himself, you know, and becoming a little bit more aware of the world, he is having to realize the darkness that's involved. Yeah. You know, I also want to point out too how like su success is seductive in a way. Mm -hmm. And yes, I'm referring to Audrey too being sexy. So Audrey like too <laughs> is sexy. So first of all, look, Audrey 2 is a plant that is very proud of its sexuality and knows how to carry it, right? Like yep. Audrey 2 knows it's hot and it's and it flaunts it, but Yeah, Audrey uh, 2 is a sexy minx. But 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 no, it, it, in all seriousness, like there there is the the very first moment where Seymour does feed blood to Audrey 2. You know, I get it. It's making it, you know, sucking noises for the blood. But it's also kind of like kissy lips, right? Yeah. And and to me, it's to me, I see that as like being seductive of Seymour of like, hey, big boy, <laughs> you sexy florist, you like get over here and make this pact with me, you sexy bitch. <laughs> I mean, Audrey too feels up both original Audrey and Seymour in like our finale. So yeah. Oh yeah, no, I, there's, there's a sexy. Plan. There is certainly sexuality implied here. Um, yep. you know, so so I, I like that part of it. But look, th this leads me to my favorite thing about this movie, and honestly, this is something I think is in a lot of the best musicals too, because you've all heard me go off on this podcast about uh, about the uh, about narrations or, or voiceovers in particular, like inner monologues from characters, mm -hmm. and how the right way to do those is to have irony to them. You know, like the character should always be saying something in their mind or narrating that's not actually reality. And it, and and musicals, because they're basically like all inner monologue of characters saying exactly how they feel or whatever, I, I think that they work best when there's an irony to what they're saying, mm -hmm. you know, or a naivety to it or a lie to it or whatever. And, you know, that is something that I think is extremely inherent in Little Shop of Horrors. And you can see it the best, I think, in in Audrey's song, uh, Somewhere That's Green, you know, because 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 really think about this. Right. So, like, again, it's, it's the saddest song. Well, not for her, it's not, you know, so, I mean, but that's the thing is, like, think about it. She is singing this song about what her perfect like life dream is and her life dream is like tv dinners uh, a 12 inch tv which she calls enormous you know uh the same old boring goddamn house that everybody else has with the fucking white picket fence and green lawn or whatever and you know and 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 there's like fucking disney princess birds like flying around her and 
it all kind of and they and and I think the best part is the the bedroom that she imagines with Seymour is even <laughs> split into two beds. You know, kind of calling back to the Hayes Code era, yeah, where where it was deemed inappropriate to show a couple <laughs> in the same goddamn bed together. You know, keep it like remember, 1960s Psycho was the first time a toilet was showed flushing in a movie. All right, like that's how fucking prude this goddamn country is. But the whole point is that there's an irony to Audrey's song. Mm-hmm. You know, there's an irony to it because. What she is talking about is what she thinks is the American dream. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's kind of speaking to the fact that she has been brainwashed into thinking that this is the perfect life. This is the American dream or whatever. And when you really, like, dissect what that American dream is, you're like, that's bullshit. <laughs> that's fucking bullshit. Like, you're living the same fucking boring life that everybody else is with your 12-inch TV and TV dinners. Like, that sucks. <laughs> Okay, I I don't disagree with you, but I think you and I might be a little bit biased because we grew up in that suburbia. We know exactly what her her ultimate dream. Well, well look, compared to Skid Row, it's heaven, right? But the but the point, but I but I think that's part of the irony, though, is mm-hmm. that you know it's it's essentially like that thought that you know the, the, those in charge, society, whatever, have kept Audrey so far down mm-hmm. that even just like the slightest bit of improvement is like mm-hmm. her life's dream. You yeah. know, that's the sad part about it. That's it the is. sad irony yeah. is that life is supposed to be so much better <laughs> than the dream that she envisions, you know, but, but uh, it's not. <laughs> well, yeah. That's why for me, somewhere in that's green, you know, we've got these two, two songs that really kind of, at least for me, give us an insight into what our characters are kind of living in. We've got Skid Row in the beginning, which is very on the nose. The neighborhood they live in is shit, and they're depressed, and it sucks. But then you have Somewhere That's Green, which is supposed to be this more hopeful song. But, you know, to your point, I think that it is really this insight into Audrey and where she's at, and just the fact that she has been so broken down. Yeah. Like... She's potentially been a stripper. It's really unclear her unsavory job that she had when she met Orin. Cause she uh, had, yeah, I guess. Yeah, because she, she had a whole job. You know, she's had to objectify herself. You know, she's dated lousy people because... <laughs> uh, for some reason, I can't get the song suddenly Seymour out of my head. And now mm-hmm. I'm just like, that was just Audrey on a Tuesday night singing to whatever guy she was lap dancing. <laughs> like, suddenly mad. You know, just... Probably. Get it up. Anyway. Well, because to be, okay, going to the Suddenly Seymour, I'm going to run with that because the Suddenly Seymour song bugs the fuck out of me. The oh, it's opening horrible. songs. Mainly just because it's Seymour going, take off all that makeup. And it's just like, bitch, what if she likes that makeup? Fuck you. She looks gorgeous. The part about that that I hate is, mm-hmm. is the fact that she sings about like, Seymour purifying her, Ugh. you know? Like, yeah. So, so this is what like, I mean. Bitch, this- you can do that on your own. You're amazing. <laughs> Well, I mean, I don't know what purifying herself on her own means. Like, I don't know. You shove a crucifix off your crotch. Like, I don't. This is an exorcist, Matt. <laughs> well, that didn't work for Reagan, did it? Um, <laughs> like Jesus, fuck me. Anyway, um, <laughs> the that's the the alternate cut of a uh, little shot horrors. Is just is the Aud- crossover with exorcist? No, it's just Audrey doing it with a cross. Um. But no, but but I mean, look, this is why I think that that's part of the implication here is it's supposed to be a joke. There's there's no way that you watch the 
the the somewhere it's green song mm-hmm. with the haze code beds and don't yep. think to yourself this is supposed to be a joke yeah like her dream is supposed to be ironic it's supposed to be funny mm-hmm. you know because you're, you're really supposed to look at it and go that's bullshit <laughs> like everything <laughs> you're singing about right now is bullshit <laughs> but it's-, it's not her fault it's no. just it's just speaking to like again that that is how devastated she is with her life and and living in this society that just treats everyone like shit is that she doesn't know any better yeah. you know she doesn't know how much better it gets than that <laughs> yeah the the only way that she feels like she can potentially get out of things is if is if a man helps her up which is bullshit yeah but like it's this thing where like you know going to the Hayes code i would take that that whole like separate bed thing as her just being like i don't even give a fuck if i'm in a loveless relationship Mm. I just want to get out. I do think it's hilarious. My favorite part of that song is the fact that included in her dream is the most suburban dream of all. A Tupperware party with the neighborhood <laughs> ladies. God, talk about a fucking nightmare. Right? Know? Like, why do you They want... made a horror movie about this. It's called The Stepford Wives. Audrey should watch it. <laughs> I, I think she needs to see it. Yeah, you know, but but again, it's the basic American dream, right? Yeah. And and that's really what Little Shop of Horrors is one big giant green commentary about is is the American dream and kind of how it's a bunch of crap, (laughs) you know, um, and watered with blood. Yeah, a bunch of crap drenched in blood and soil and tears and all (laughs) all that good stuff. And and it it comes through so much in the original ending for the movie. Which we got to talk about, you know, so <laughs> so the original ending for Little Shop of Horrors, for those that haven't seen it, which is a lot of people, <laughs> the original ending is both Seymour and Audrey die, you know, like Audrey gets eaten and Seymour more or less sacrifices himself, you know, because <laughs> yeah. he's kind of like, all right, fucking, I'm just going to get eaten by this plant now. They both die. And then a, a bunch of Audrey twos have been created by this company which uh which has the salesman played by Jim Belushi and, and they make all these Audrey 2s and anyway long story short Audrey 2s pretty much end up taking over the world and we get this like incredible i i want to say it's like 10 minutes maybe more maybe longer than that uh but we get this like 10 minute sequence of just all these Audrey 2 puppets just like terrorizing the city you know it's it's a godzilla ju- style yeah no it, it like little shop of horrors becomes a legit kaiju movie yes <laughs> for the last 10 minutes and it's incredible mm-hmm. and they did they spent like five million dollars on it they put months and months and months of work into this ending and, and effects artist richard conway you know like frank oz talks about how devastating it was for him that he had to call conway and make that call of like hey so all this work that you just spent months on being a fucking master at, uh, it's not going to be in the movie, you know? Boom. Um, Because they, they did so much incredible miniature work for this. Mm-hmm. Like, when you really hear it all explained, which I cannot recommend enough, uh, the commentary from Frank Oz, who really goes into, like, kind of all the technicals of how they shot some of this stuff. But, like, it's incredible. Like, the work that they did is amazing. You know, there there are only two shots in this entire movie that have visual effects that were not in camera. 
you know, and, and one of those is like the solar eclipse thing with the plant suddenly appearing. And mm-hmm. I forget what the other one is off the top of my head. But everything else you see, including this alternate ending, is in-camera effects work. Yeah. Well, uh, they, they were shooting at one of the biggest sound stages. They were shooting in London, everything right. in a sound stage. They, they didn't lose the fantasy element, which right. is they, insane. They, they, they were shooting on the same sound, sound stage as a, as a Bond movie being shot at the same time. <laughs> so this original ending, like, you know, it ended up being cut because, because test audiences didn't like the fact that Seymour and Audrey die and they were upset about that because apparently they cared about these characters mm-hmm. and I'm going to get into that in a second uh but they but they were upset about that and the test scores were basically so bad that like only 15% of people that saw the movie recommended it and this was after they were like clapping and cheering and having a great time all the way up until the point where they died and then as Frank Oz puts it the crowd just went like stonewall silent right mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh. so so they really hated it they really hated that they died and so the studio had them cut it they reshot it and anyway i've rambled long enough about that i'm gonna have more to say in a minute but what are your thoughts <laughs> on the fact that this ending was cut and we eventually got you know the, the ending that showed up in the theatrical cut that most people have seen where seymour and Audrey survive and kill audrey too with like electricity and then they get there somewhere is that's green ending (laughs) yeah i i i fucking hate the the theatrical ending like because honestly it looks reshot it it's not smooth it's not a smooth ending Uh, i mean you you can definitely tell tell. yeah you can definitely tell that it was not the intended ending. yeah and like again broadway snob the broadway show ends with them dying it's the sad ending so that's what i'm expecting yeah. the kaiju scene's fucking amazing like there's no way i'm not gonna like the original ending better like do i want our poor little kidlets our dumb little kidlets to survive kind of i do like audrey i do like seymour you know it'd be nice for them to have their happy ending but the reality is that just doesn't always happen. So well, well but and and yeah. that's why and that's why I hate that ending. Yeah. Like, and, and don't be wrong. You know, I, I used to watch this movie and like be okay with the ending, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it never it never bothered me as much until I found out about this original ending. <laughs> and, and once once I knew about the original ending, you know, just just taking away from the fact that that it's beautifully shot yep. and just has some of honestly the best effects work that you can see in an American film at the time. Right, like just take take that out of it, and I I now hate or despise or or just do not like the ending that was used for the theatrical cut because I think it really takes away from the point of the rest of the movie. Yeah, you know, because w- without without the original ending, they also had to take out the finale song, which is "Don't Feed the Plants." Mm-hmm. You know, which and, is such a great song. That's a great song, and maybe it's a little on the nose, but <laughs> but that whole song is about what the movie's about, which is success is not like this golden, dreamy, everything's perfect thing. Success mm-hmm. like it leaves you drained and broken, and like you know, yeah. the, and and sacrifices that you have to make. Like the whole movie is about being weary of doing those things for your dreams for success you know it's it's a warning yeah so to speak right it's a warning about like feeding into the bullshit that is capitalism mm-hmm. and and all that kind of stuff and and to cut it and give them the shitty american dream <laughs> 
that they sing about, I actually think that's more of an insult than them dying. <laughs> because yeah. because it's kind of, you know, it's kind of like, you know... It, it feels it, like propaganda, almost. A little bit. Yeah. A little bit. It You know... It, <laughs> I have nothing against happy endings. Obviously, you know, mm-hmm. part of my part of the reason I'm a horror fan is because I like seeing, you know, people conquer <laughs> shit like Audrey too and whatnot. Yeah. Um, but in this particular case, it's just like the happy ending is crap. It is. You know, because it, you you fed the plant, you murdered people. Like you can't you can't get out of for, this alive. Right. See, like, look, maybe Seymour never directly murders anybody. But he was there to kill Orin. He had a gun. Yep. And he still f- chopped him up and fed him to the plant. Mm-hmm. And he basically pushes Mr. Mushnick into yes. the plant. Yep. You know, so like Seymour is not without guilt here. Mm-hmm. And and I, ju- I just think that, you know, to give them this, <laughs> this, this ending that was supposed to be ironic, you know, th- <laughs> like their whole dream is supposed to be ironic that to actually give that to them, I actually almost think is a worse fate. And I know that yeah. sounds like bullshit because you're probably like, well, I think both of them dying would be a worse fate, man. At least they have each other in the end. Yes, completely agree. But I just think that, you know, it, it's almost, there's a, there's such a sadness, you know, to Ooh. to knowing that they, they've moved on to this, like, boring, crappy, basic American dream life. <laughs> well, and they're chasing a dream that they don't understand. Like, Seymour's in love with Audrey, but he doesn't know Audrey. He yeah. doesn't know her or anything like that. He's asking her... He, He's asking her to marry him after, like, maybe having kissed, like, once type of thing. Yeah, it it basically feels like the most Christian ending possible, right? Like (laughs) he's put her up on a pedestal, and he doesn't understand her, and she's not going to want to be there, and so they're both going to be miserable. They're running off into a miserably ever after. Right. I give it six months. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I... Uh, I think the first time we watched a little shop of horrors together, we saw the theatrical ending. And I think that's part of the reason why I don't like this movie as much as I could is we watched this ending and I went, well, this is fucking bullshit. Where's my like, you know, don't feed the plant song. Mm-hmm. You already took out my favorite song. You can't take out my second favorite. Yeah, no, it's, um, I, I just don't, I just don't think it works. You know, no. I, I just don't think it works the same way. And, and I'm not saying, I'm not saying that's a bad ending. I know a lot of people like this ending. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just, I think uh, once you've seen the original ending though, I just don't think that this ending that they ended up releasing, just, I don't think it works for the movie. No. You know, like you can really tell that this is not what Oz and the others wanted to do. Because again, I think it just completely undercuts the 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 other 90 minutes of the film. You yeah. know? The ending's uh, soulless. The theatrical one is. A little bit, a little bit, yeah. and but but you know, and th- and this is just like I I just need to get this off my chest. A brief rant on test audiences. This is why I hate test audiences. This is why I hate the way that you know a lot of this stuff works for big budget studio movies. Is that you know, I I know people that work in the test audience industry, and I'm not I I don't want to like besmirch their work or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but <laughs> you know, at the same time, I just think that. You know, I don't really give a fuck what Jan and Jerry from Ohio (laughs) think about Little Shop of Horrors. I don't believe that Jan and Jerry from Ohio should be determining 
what an artist intends for the last for for the most important part of their film in the finale, you know? Yeah. Uh, I don't care if they didn't like it. I want to see what Frank Oz wanted me to see in the end, you know? And if it's not as good, if I don't like the ending, then I don't like the ending. But at least I got to see what the artist wanted me to see. Yeah. You know, it'd be like it'd be like Picasso, like making this <laughs> brilliant painting, right? And then he brings it, you know, and then he brings it to sell it or whatever, or and and the king is like, because I, you know, because kings were around Picasso. I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm I'm too drunk for this now at this point. But 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 Picasso brings it in front of the king or whatever, and the king's like. Oh, you know, I really don't like that shade of green. Do you think you could do it all in red? You know, and it's just or like, can you make the faces look normal? I don't like those weird faces yes, no, you do. No, great example. You know, like, hey, Picasso, you think <laughs> yes. you could just make like a normal painting for once? Like that kind of shit. It's like, no, fuck you. That's Picasso's style. That's what Picasso wants you to see. You know, you don't tell Picasso draw normal faces. <laughs> then it's not Picasso anymore. So, like, I don't fucking care if Jan and Jerry don't like his weird-ass faces, his fucking <laughs> mutant, weird-looking people, you know? That's what Picasso does. To do anything else is to not do Picasso, you know? So, so I just, I have this feeling with test audiences where it's like, I don't give a fuck what people who are not avid moviegoers who are not avid film people think about any movie in particular you know like just give me what the artist intended and i will make a decision for myself if i like it or not i get it it's a business studios and producers and executives have to look at it as a business but it's just like for god's sakes man (laughs) like for god's sakes to change the actual ending of a movie is changing the whole goddamn thing you know like a, a, a few people in an audience should not have the power to do that. <laughs> I, I feel like you'll be disappointed to learn that they also made the dentist's office less bloody. They had to reshoot all oh, of I know. that. Yeah, there there was also. Well, I don't remember if that was a decision from a test audience or just, or just Oz. I, I think ultimately Oz kind of decided, okay, maybe that's a little much. Because, <laughs> yeah, the dentist's office was originally, like, blood splattered. <laughs> I would have loved that. I would have loved it, too. Uh, I, th- there was a much grislier little shop of horrors that was a, that was at one time intended. Um, but, no, but just the whole test science industry, I hate it. I, I, I hate it. Like, there are so many movies that ha- are just tinkered with and fucked with until they don't even resemble what they originally were supposed to be. You know, and it's just like, again, maybe, you know, it works out sometimes like the get out ending was originally different and test mm-hmm. scientists reacted poorly. And so they did a different ending and I ultimately like what they shot better than the original ending. Mm-hmm. But I still, you know, if Jordan Peele wanted me to see a specific ending, I would have rather seen what Peele wanted me to see initially. It's so. one, I feel like the film industry is one of the few industries that actively fucks with the creative process all the time. Oh, I mean, it says everything that writers are basically on the bottom of the totem pole yeah. <laughs> when it comes to film. You know, the people that come with the, come up with all the ideas <laughs> and the story that you wouldn't have ah, a movie without. Fuck you guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a wonderful <laughs> industry. Um, anyways, <laughs> uh, so that's my rant on that. But yeah, no, so if you have not seen this original ending, uh, please go seek it out. YouTube, find the director's cut on Blu-ray, whatever you got to do. It's, it's amazing. It's brilliant. Uh, but all right, so we got to start wrapping up. So who is your killer idiot of Little Shop of Horrors? I mean, obviously the dentist, Orin, for making some weird makeshift gas mask for himself. Like, and fucking up the knobs and murdering himself. Like, that's that's idiot move. 
Yeah, it's a little bit of an idiot. Uh, I'm yeah. gonna <laughs> I, I am bummed because that scene from the Broadway show does have one of my favorite songs in it, which they had to cut. And I totally get it. I understand why they cut it. But oh. I kind of would have liked to see Steve Martin sing that song. Uh, yeah, that would have been great. I, I'm going to go with Christopher Guest as the quote-unquote first customer. The weird and, robot man? <laughs> yes, and it's because any man who is so robotic that he walks into the store and is like, Hello, I saw that strange and interesting plant in your window. Can you tell me more about it? I would like to buy $50 worth of roses. Oh, you cannot break 100 Well, then I guess I will just have to double my order. Like, I'm sorry, anybody who speaks like such a robot is either A, a robot, mm-hmm. which I don't think he was in 1986 on Skid Row, or B, uh, is complete and utter moron. <laughs> so, this is the and o- I'm going to go for B. <laughs> this is the only time I've ever thought that Audrey 2 maybe has powers. Maybe this is a robot from Audrey 2's ship. To just get what the, the ball rolling. What the hell are you talking about? Because, <laughs> well, you know, Audrey 2 is trying to take credit for, like, the, the business. And, you know, Robot Man kind of starts it off. You realize that implication changes everything about this movie, right? Like, for all we know <laughs> at this point, half the characters might be robots from whatever spaceship no, Audrey 2 came from. just <laughs> the first one to get the ball rolling. You don't think they would implement robots at any other time in no. this to like convince Seymour nope. to feed more people to the plant? Nope, just this one. <laughs> All right, whatever. My my point being, you know, uh, this this Idiot. man this man when he fucks must just be like, you know, his, his whoever he's sleeping with has to like duct tape his mouth shut because he must just be sitting there like, oh yes, oh yes. Are you getting horny? (laughs) Oh, baby. Oh, baby. It's all missionary. Yeah. Oh, definitely missionary. If, if, if any, that might, that might even be too exciting. I don't know. Um, (laughs) uh, But no, yeah, it's that man is my killer idiot. So what about your killer death of Little Shop Wars? Okay. So my killer death is Audrey's from the director's cut for the reason why I'm, I really, in the director's cut, she gets chomped. Seymour pulls her out. They have like their their sad little song, basically where she's saying she wants to go somewhere that's green, sacrificing herself to the plant so that Seymour can continue having a life. Which that's really fucking dark, and I don't want to get into that. But the scene where Seymour feeds her to the plant is so gorgeous because mm. she's in her white tattered wedding dress. You that's know, and beautiful. yeah, and there's like a halo around Audrey too. It's just the most beautiful scene ever. It breaks my heart because Audrey is sacrificing herself for another dipshit dude who's not worth her time but mm. it's a gorgeous scene so that's my killer death because well seymour's it. not dipshit he's a little bit of dipshit time, but <laughs> he's a murdery dipshit well okay that's a little harsh for seymour i think <laughs> but um but no my, my killer death is Orin because i mean yeah like you said it's fucking hilarious that he just <laughs> his weird murders little himself with his laughing mask his and, little flappy flaps on the side of his face yeah it's it's great <laughs> I love that thing. Yeah. <laughs> and Steve Martin, again, is just brilliant in it. So uh, what about your killer MVP? I don't know. Everybody. Everybody on this film. Like Lyle Conway, who designed Audrey 2, is amazing. Obviously, the costume de- designer, um, Merritt Allen, who, you know, did. You got pick one, Chris. I can't pick one. You only pick one. <laughs> Bill Murray. I fucking love his character. Bill- <laughs> <laughs> okay. Look, the last time you called me basic, you've called me basic a couple of times for my MVP choice. You can so, pick whoever you want as MVP. <laughs> so I'm going to go with Bill Murray because this is the only, I do not like Bill Murray very much. I don't like a lot of the characters he plays. This is the only so character. basic. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm going to throw this microphone at Matt's face right now. <laughs> All right. So it's 
Bill Murray because yes, he is hilarious in this. But <laughs> MVV might be going a little bit far because you know he's I, in the movie for like two minutes. No, but <laughs> you. Um, no, my, my MVP is going to go to basically just Audrey to the puppet and the entire puppeteering team because yeah, uh, because uh, you know even for <laughs> even for today this would be just masterful work. Like yeah. this would be stunning to see in a movie. And this was 1986, you know, mm-hmm. nowadays we would just do the whole thing digital and lame, uh, but, <laughs> but, but all the work that went into this, I mean, I didn't mention earlier, like I meant to, but uh, at one time there was like 50 to 60 people puppeteering the largest version of Audrey two. Mm-hmm. Uh, they made multiple puppets for this. The, the vines moving was like, um, revolutionary is the wrong word but it was it was like a new technique being mm-hmm. used at the time that that was just very effective uh and and just yeah everybody that worked on that stuff including richard conway who really got fucked yeah. you know with all the work that he did with the miniatures to only have a cut um all of them i think deserve huge praise like little shop of horrors wouldn't be the same yeah. if it wasn't for just the masterful work they did with the puppetry so <laughs> Is it weird for me to say that if they decide to ever do, like, you know, a, a reboot or a remake or anything like this, the only way I'd accept it would be if they did it Muppets? If they did Muppets Little Shop of Horrors? Um, yes, because you I, could still do live action, I but with a puppet. Muppets is live action. Is it live action people yeah, and but why Muppets? Yeah, but why does everybody have to be a Muppet? No. You've seen Muppet movies. There's lots of humans in them. There's like one human. There's Muppet lots of movies. humans. There's lots. It's equal human and Muppets. No, it's not equal. Yes, human it and is. Oh, fucking whatever. Why do you want it to be a Muppet movie? For the sole reason that I feel like if anybody else was going to do a remake of this movie, we would be in danger of CGI Audrey too. Just, I, give it, just give it to the people who did Dark Crystal. I would love them. <laughs> I only trust people who do puppets. So, like, them... I think Guillermo del Toro does L- a decent amount of practical effects. But listen, listen. We don't have enough puppet horror movies, so... We need so, more. So, I, I, I'm with you. Muppets. To an extent. I don't Muppets. know that it has to be Muppets, but, but I want to see the not? Muppets do a horror film. Anyway, um... So, so on Twitter every week uh, at Killer Critics, we like to put up a poll, just kind of getting your thoughts and feelings on the film, what you think of it. So between love it, it's fine, don't like it, never seen it, where do you think the audience fell on Little Shop of Horrors? The only answer I accept is love it. Well, that wasn't the only answer we got. So <gasps> love it, love it is sixty six percent. It's fine was twenty percent. That's fair. Don't like it was one percent, and never seen it was thirteen percent. So that's kind of about where That's I thought, fair. although I've never seen it was a little higher than I expected. But this is a movie from 1986 that, you know, and, honest, it's, a, and it's a musical. Well, and it's a musical. And honestly, I kind of feel like it's fallen a bit out of the public eye. Very much For so. whatever reason, maybe because it's a musical. I don't know. But this is one that I like never see people talk about on Twitter. Mm-hmm. You know, like I posted about the original ending the other day and like 50% of people responding were like, what? I never <gasps> heard of that. You know, Aww. like. So, so, so yeah, no, I, you 13%, you need to go watch this movie. It's great. Um, but we always take comments from you all as well. So these are all from Twitter. So first up is a comment from at dare the dead. And they say, it's one of my all time favorites. I love musicals and horror. So when they cross, it's everything for me. Also love Sweeney Todd and repo for similar reasons. Yeah. You get me. Yeah. Horror musicals are amazing. They're fantastic. And they're a great mashup of two genres. Yeah, I, I can't really add anything to that other than I'll just say, uh, after the dead, if you have not heard our episode on this, we actually talked about Sweeney Todd a while back. Uh, so you can look up, you can look that up on killerhorror.com and 
to listen to us talk about that one if you'd like. Uh, and also, Repo is great as well. And I'm, yes. I am sorry to those who requested it that we did not fit it into this month. But <laughs> I think it's because um, I yelled about the lore too much for You us. did. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, Anyway, so thank you, at Dear the Dead, for the comment. Appreciate it. Next up is a comment from at Kurt Roper. So that's C-U-R-T-R-O-P-E-R. And they say, great musical and the film captures it well. The original Corman flick is a great flick for a movie that reused sets from another production. Honestly, the original ending was good, but there's nothing wrong with the Hollywood ending. It is lucky the movie got made at all. I, I do agree with you that we're lucky that it got made. Um, I still haven't seen the Corman one. I've been tempted to, but I'm such a musical person that I feel like if I it's watched really good. it. Yeah, but I want songs now. I'm spoiled. Well, fair. Uh, <laughs> it is really good, though. And fun fact about the Corman film that I didn't mention earlier is, you know, Little Shop of Horrors, when Corman did it, was basically spawned from a joke where, you know, Corman wanted to basically prove that he could make a movie in two days, and that's what he did. So. <laughs> what a weird little man. I love that. Yeah, they just they used sets they had available, wrote a script in a couple weeks, and shot the movie in like two days, if I remember right. So. <laughs> um. But look, we are lucky it got made. You know, David Geffen, uh, who produced the movie, he said that when he was first approached with it, he thought it was the stupidest thing he ever heard of. Like, he, he thought it was a ridiculous idea to turn this musical into <laughs> into a movie. Um, so, so, I mean, it did not have an easy road from the beginning, I guess. But And, and we've set our piece on, <laughs> on the Hollywood ending. But um, but no, but but I, I agree. It's a great musical. It does capture it well. And... and you know, we are lucky that we have this movie at all because it's a very out there idea. The the you know where it originally came from with Corman was a, a weird sort of scenario in and of itself. You know, so so we're, we are a society as a society. We're lucky to have a little shop of horrors. So uh, anyway, thank you at Kurt Roper for the comment. Appreciate it. Next up is a comment from at Run Kyle Run. So that's Run K Y L E Run and the number thirteen. And they say, musicals are not a genre I typically enjoy, but I love this one. Rick Moranis' quirky energy is perfect fit for the character Seymour. The songs are fun and catchy. The practical effects are criminally underrated. A 13-foot working puppet made of Kevlar should garner more praise. It's made of Kevlar? I didn't know that. That's awesome. Yeah, it's made of a lot of things. I don't I, I don't know the specifics of what it was made of, but I, I would assume that if that's what yeah. they're saying, then yes. Uh, and look, I get I get that musicals aren't for everyone, so I am always really happy when people do like them. So I'm glad that even though musicals aren't your thing, you really like Little Top of Horrors. Because yeah, underrated. It's such an amazing film. I mean, I, I agree on the effects. Like, yeah. criminally underrated is absolutely true. You know, mm -hmm. again, nominated for Academy Awards, so I don't know how underrated you could say at the time. But it do, again, it does feel like now in 2022 that this movie is, like, verging on forgotten. It's not forgotten, but it feels like it's verging that way. Like I, like, I do genuinely wonder, you know, how many, like, Gen Zers have seen Little Shop of Horrors. Yeah. <laughs> Um, hopefully I'm wrong. Hopefully this movie's like super popular and I'm just not aware of it. But, <laughs> um, but anyway, thank you at run Kyle run 13 for the comment. Appreciate it. Next up is a comment from at sinful underscore redhead. So that's S I N N F U L underscore redhead. This is my friend, Sarah. She has a podcast you should check out as well. So follow her and give it a listen. Uh, she says, love this movie. The songs are so fun. Steve Martin as the dentist and Bill Murray as the guy who likes pain. Perfect casting. My mom and I used to do musical theater together. I remember when she choreographed this play at the famous Barre Opera House, which is supposedly haunted. <laughs> oh, that's definitely cool. And I think it's awesome that you and your mom did musicals together. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, I I love the songs out of Matt's right. I listen to a shit ton of musical soundtracks, but Little Shop of Horrors is probably the ones that I hum the most because the music's so good. Because Alan Menken is a treasure. Was a treasure. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's cool as well. And, you know, I now kind of want to visit the Bari Opera House for the sole fact that it's supposedly haunted. Yeah, <laughs> let's go. So anyway, thank you at sinful underscore redhead for the comment. Appreciate it. And then last comment is from at beernut1. So that's B-E-E-R-N-U-T and then the number one. And they say, I like the musical Little Shop of Horrors, but I enjoy the live action version from Corman Moore. The humor is a bit more absurd in my opinion, but I love McMoranis as Seymour better in the remake. Do you have thoughts or ideas about things the musical does better than the original? So Chris I, can't I have answer. I have no thoughts. <laughs> so Chris can't answer that. So the thing the thing that I will will say is right off the bat, obviously the effects, you know, and that's not really fair to Corman's film. Corman made his movie in 1960. Uh, we were obviously quite a bit more advanced mm-hmm. uh, in terms of practical effects by 1986 and puppeteering, um, but definitely that area. Uh, I do think that the characters are a little bit more interesting uh, in the remake. In the original, you know, there's kind of. They're not quite as interesting for me. Also, there's kind of, you know, some some pseudo racist things that don't quite work as well <laughs> uh, or don't quite play as well now in 2022. Um, I do think that the humor is a little bit better in in the original with Roger Corman, uh, especially that Jack Nicholson scene it is fucking hysterical. I really do think it's one of Nicholson's like best and maybe most underseen roles, but no, that that's where I would fall right away is just those factors. Definitely mm-hmm. the effects better characters, I think, but I will agree with you. The humor is probably a little bit better in the original. So uh, anyway, thank you at beer nut one for the comment. Appreciate it. So we always like to wrap up too with our releases for the week and what you can look out for this week. So first up is a film called, Wormwood Apocalypse, and this is coming to VOD on the 15th. Uh, This is a sequel to Worm Road, Road of the Dead, and these are basically like uh, post-apocalyptic zombie movies. Uh, I I have seen Road of the Dead. It's a very cool film. Definitely recommend checking it out. Uh, At the time that you're listening to this, I should have a review for Wormwood Apocalypse out, or or at least will be out this week on KillerHorrorCrate.com, so you can see that there. Uh, another film coming out is The Cellar, and this is coming to Shudder on the 15th. So this is a film that marks the return of Elijah Cuthbert uh, to horror, and it's basically about a family that moves into a house and kind of discovers like all these weird patterns and geometry and stuff above their doors. And to say anything more, I think might spoil it. It's it's a very effective film. It's really well directed. It's very creepy. I think that some of you might kind of I don't want to say bored, but maybe kind of get over it a little bit at some point because it does kind of really take its time. Uh, and it builds to, it builds to a pretty cool ending, uh, but it's a little bit too little too late, mm-hmm. you know, but, but again, the film's effective. I do think it's pretty creepy. So if it sounds interesting to you, definitely check it out. Uh, you can also find my review for that on killerhorror.com. And then last is a film called choose or die. And this comes to Netflix on the 15th. And I have not seen this one, but from what I can tell, it's essentially about a gamer who plays a cursed retro horror game that forces her to make horrible decisions. You know, so one of those kinds of movies. Awesome. Uh, I saw the trailer. It looks fun. Uh-huh. You know, so so we'll see. But but I it looks interesting. Um, and other than that, uh, next week we're going to be talking about the Rocky Horror Picture Show, 
Uh, that is unfortunately not streaming that I know of, but of course it's a classic. Yep. Worth your rental if you haven't seen it. Uh, so go do your homework with that if you want. Otherwise, that's going to do it for us on Little Shop of Horrors. So I'm Matt. And I'm Chris. And have a great night, horror fans. Bye. I hope you've enjoyed tonight's episode of Killer Horror Critic. If you'd like to scream with us some more, please subscribe on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Killer From Space, as well as Instagram at Killer underscore horror underscore critic. New episodes release every Friday, so keep your eyeballs peeled just the way I like them. Have a good night, horror fans. <laughs>